right, here we go. Brian Castle here, back for another episode of the Productize Podcast. Today, I'm talking to Russ Perry, founder of Design Pickle, and uh, this year in 2017, he's actually growing into a number of other products, which we get into. So great conversation here. We talked all about their rapid growth and uh, well beyond uh, six figures a month in MRR. So you'll get the update. I feel like every time you hear Russ on an interview, you know he's just multiples ahead of, of the previous interview, even if it was just a month at a time. So we get kind of an update on where things are at and how he's managing the growth of, of a team, managing a growing team out in the Philippines, 70 people working remotely from the Philippines, as well as a team uh, here in the U.S., traveling with family. Uh, we get into uh, managing multiple products. So Russ actually purchased another SaaS, Yes Insights, and they're building their own SaaS on top of uh, what they've been doing at Design Pickle. We do a deep dive into Design Pickle today as it what, what it looks like to scale up a, a productized service, the operations of, of hiring folks, uh, onboarding clients, optimizing that entire flow, the tools, the systems, the processes that they're using. So we covered a lot of ground in this episode. I'm sure you're really going to get a lot out of it, as I always do when I talk to Russ. So without further ado, here we go. Here's my conversation with Russ Perry from Design Pickle. Enjoy. All right, I'm here with Russ Perry from Design Pickle. Russ, how's it going? What's up, Brian? Good to connect again. Yeah, where are you coming from today? I am down in Central America right now. Been down here for about three weeks in Belize, actually, over in San Pedro on the like cool Caribbean tropical side. I love it. That's awesome. Just being able to work from anywhere, work with teams from anywhere and everywhere. We'll we'll definitely get into all that. So, folks probably know you from running the uh, the very popular Design Pickle. So why don't you just give a, a brief overview of that and just really like, what are you focused on today mostly? Yeah. So um, I'm sure some of, some of you have not heard of Design Pickle. If not, we are basically a productized service around graphic design. And we've been helping out thousands of customers with just the day-to-day stuff that they need to get their marketing and sales engines rolling uh, from creative content standpoint. So we are um, doing a lot of graphics for online, offline stuff, uh, marketing campaigns, advertising, you name it. And things have been going good. Uh, We actually have started to really scale up in terms of our operations. Um, We're looking to double our staff this year, which has been a pretty huge like culture shift for me and for my operations team out in the Philippines. Uh, And as we were kind of chatting about before the recording started, We've been dabbling in buying SaaS products as well as building our own SaaS products, which have been, I probably wouldn't in hindsight do both at the same time, but uh, it is what it is. And so I'm, I've been now focusing a lot of my time on getting those two uh, ready to roll and, and to scale those as well for the second half of this year. Awesome. Yeah. So we are going to dig into all of that in this conversation. You know, I, I think... Folks can definitely find plenty of other interviews with you. I know you've done a couple of really good ones on Mixergy, and I think you're on Tropical MBA and, and probably a few others uh, where you kind of dig into your backstory and, and how things started with Design Pickle. So I don't really want to go into a whole lot there. The, the one thing about Design Pickle, you know, being a productized service and yours in particular has just been growing so fast. And I feel like every time I hear you on an interview or I talk to you, like the update you know, the current update of Design Pickle is like double what it was just a couple months ago, you know. So we're recording this here in uh, the beginning of May 2017. Why don't you give us some perspective on where things are at? How far has it grown? What does it look like today? Yeah, so uh, May 2nd, 2017 AD, we are at (laughs) 200. (laughs) In terms of my bare metrics report, which we love those guys, uh, we are at $262,000 in recurring revenue uh, every month. And then we're netting, though, closer to 300K just because we are always doing an offer for like a prepayment for more time and a discount. And that we're getting really close to a thousand active customers. So uh, that's paying subscriptions. We do have a lot of customers that have like multiple users under their account. So that's kind of an exciting milestone for us. We're currently at 920. But yeah, we've been really, I mean, it doesn't feel like we've been growing a lot. But then when I like go back 
over 90 days and look at the reports, it's like, oh my God, we, we just added like 50K or 100K to our MRR, which is pretty awesome to see in hindsight. Yeah, wow. And what does the team look like today? So we've been, um, you know, steadily always increasing our production team in the Philippines. So we are right around 70 people out there. Um, that's a mix of designers and and other like support logistics team members. And then we've been really, what's been really exciting for us in Arizona where we're headquartered is like we've been hiring there. So forever, it's just been a pretty skeleton team, but we've been able to use this cash flow that, you know, they're just growing the business to hire another marketing support, more customer success people. We're bringing on like a full-time video content producer in May, which is gonna be really exciting. And, uh, and then looking at like another kind of, I guess, marketing role as for, for our other products as well. Okay. So you've got the 70, 70 people in the Philippines and we're going to dig into that whole side of things quite a bit here, but here in the U S what does your team look like? It's, it's going to be me, three marketing folks, three customer support folks. And then we have like our like a outsourced part-time event manager that we use. So almost 10 people event manager. So what was that role about? Yeah. So we, part of our growth, I think can dare. I mean, I know not, I think can be directly attributed to, we've done a ton of trade shows this year. So we did, uh, the traffic and conversion conference that digital marketer hosts. We did Infusionsoft most recently. We did the click funnels conference. We did social media marketing world, and doing all of those in like nine, the first 90 days out of the year that was required us to bring on some help to just kind of logistically coordinate everything. Oh, cool. I've heard of attending events and going to conferences and things like that, but actually dedicating a person to that role and really doubling down on it. That sounds interesting. Well, it's, it's more or less because of what we want to do at these events. I, my background is, was with my agency. We did a lot of trade shows for our clients we had a lot of B2B clients and they were doing trade shows at like Dreamforce or big builder conferences. We had a lot of product manufacturing clients. And these aren't just like set up a pop-up banner and hand out flyers. You know, these are those conferences you have. And I mean, I remember at Salesforce, there was like Cirque de Olay performers in someone's booth. Like it was insane, like how huge they were. So we're not doing that, but we definitely bring like a better you know, full court approach to when we show up at events, like we have pickles, we have the pickle dressed up photos. Uh, we have a lot of loud music and all this, all this stuff. I mean, it's just a million moving pieces and, and, you know, we can't lose our sights on our regular acquisitions efforts between what we're doing online. So bringing in a part-time person to help coordinate all that. I mean, down from how do we ship pickles from Arizona to our events? <laughs> like there's just all sorts of random ass stuff you got to keep track of. So that's why we brought someone on for it. Very cool. All right. So we're going to get into your operations and outsourcing and your, even like your marketing stuff and then into your other products. Before I get into that, I'm just curious about you as, as the founder right now. How do you spend your time? Like, what what does your typical week look like managing all these different moving parts? You know, that's a great question because I'm like really questioning that right now. Um, I, moving abroad, so it's been a goal of mine probably for the last decade since I read Four Hour Work Week to like be location independent and live abroad and do this stuff. And I did it, man. Like I was like, I even wrote a blog about it on my Medium account. Like, oh my gosh, I'm doing it. Here it is. But I can tell you it like threw a massive wrench in my my world just in terms of like the kids are always around. Like there's no Internet. What's what, I have? There's one coffee shop that sort of like literally one coffee shop. There's not even several. There's like four Starbucks within a half mile of my old house. So it's been a challenge like you know, one of those things I feel guilty about complaining about, but at the same time, I'm still running a business. I'm still trying to grow things. I have these other projects and managing stuff. So I have found that my day-to-day -day routines uh, were really exposed and where I've had just a total weakness was in, is in time management, like for deep level work. And, um, what I mean by that is like when I leave at 7am and not really have any Thing other than work to focus on till 5 or 6 p.m. 
I can waste a lot of time and still get a lot of stuff done. Now, where I have only like three or four hours allocated for work, if I'm not focused, I get nothing done and I feel like I've completely wasted the day. So that's been a huge thing for me. And I think like three weeks in, I'm, I'm still not there, but I've had to really uh, extract myself. And also I'm like trying to get massively intent, like what is my intention for each day? And, and, and almost like lowering my expectations for myself to say like, look, if I only do these two things, that's a win for me. I can't, I don't have the bandwidth to do 20 things and I may not even have internet. So I got to like have the backup plan. And that's been, um, it's been an eye opener of like how much time I'm truly wasting, which I hope to like learn from for these next three weeks and then, and then have some new habits when I get back to Arizona. I really, really relate to that, especially having young kids and the travel thing. I, you know, my family did the coast to coast living in Airbnbs for a while and just a couple months ago, I went out to the Philippines as well. And yeah, it's like, first of all, I think actually having having kids around and having those like limited time windows actually makes you super productive because you see like, all right, I've got two hours free here. I better make a count. And the flip is, I think, like, I think the flip with like your time with your family is is equally applicable where I only have three hours with my kids because this is when everyone's awake because I, I have a one-year-old too. Like, you know, no one's taking a nap. Everyone's in a good mood. Let's go do this. And I can't be distracted during that time because that is like what they're here for. They want that time with dad and they want that experience. So if I'm like thinking about email or thinking about that link, I, I sent out a link to a big advertising thing last week and I like mistyped the link. It was my fault. It was a dead link in this email. And I'm, I'm like, I can't think about that stuff. I got to like play Marco Polo right now. And you know, you got to equally compartmentalize your family time as well as your work time. Totally. Yeah. And just that, that whole idea of being able to accept the fact that, all right, I'm just going to get one important thing done today or this week. If these three things get done, that's great. The weekend has to be off limits, no work. Um, I'm still trying to get better at that myself, but let's dive into your operations a little bit, right? So, so design pickle, uh, as you said earlier, you guys do small design jobs. The first question that I have here that I think a lot of people have is how do you manage that when you have so many customers, so many of these small design jobs going through your pipeline every day, every week, like, how does that not drive you crazy? Right? So like, what are the systems that enable you to process that many jobs and, because if you think about like a typical design firm, an agency, or like a freelancer or whatever, like that level of workload would absolutely drive them crazy. So how do you guys manage it? Well, I mean, we have a lot of designers. That's first of all. So it's you know, it's not like one designer is managing the whole load. Um, but it all come it, it kind of comes down to the fundamental DNA of what we expect from our clients, and I think that translates into a manageable business process and. And what I mean by that is we really expect clients to know what they want. They don't have to have everything spelled out. We know our clients are designers and we're not asking them to design stuff for us, but they either need to know like what the end result, like what medium are we designing for and visually or stylistically kind of the direction we are going for. Um, you'd be surprised like a, a trained professional designer, which is makes up our team, can get pretty close to what's in your head if we have just a few data points around who we're designing for, what it is you're thinking you want from a stylistic standpoint and kind of the end result, whether it's an ad or a brochure or whatever. So from that, we if you don't provide that to us, you won't have a good experience with Design Pickle. And those clients churn out fairly quickly within their you know risk-free period or, or soon, during their first month. Well, how do you like optimize for that, right? Like, do you have... I don't know, like questionnaires or like, how do you train clients to be good clients? It's been a process and I, yeah, and I think it's still something we can improve on. Um, we've implemented a pretty, I think, good onboarding experience where when you sign up for design pickle, you actually are gated. You can't even submit a request until you have completed this sequence of videos and a little quiz that we give you. I mean, it's a pat, it's not, it's a pass fail in the sense that we look at the results and then if it seems like you've watched the videos, you'll know if you watch the videos, you can answer the questions on the quiz. 
at that point though, but all of that is designed about setting expectations. How can you use our service? What do we do? What don't we do? And most people, I'd say about 80% learn from those. And then the 20% that like skip through the videos or don't care to remember, then we usually set up a call with them their their first couple of weeks because we can tell that they, they didn't listen or didn't read through our stuff. And either they correct their expectations of the service or they don't and then they, they cancel. So by the time someone gets through all of that, the clients that remain understand the scope and the scale of what we can and can't do because we don't try to do everything within design. And I think that's the mistake most creative content services make is they try to do it all within whatever niche or, or vertical they're, they're trying to go after. And so we we set the boundaries pretty clear from the beginning and give you lots of opportunities to learn what those boundaries are. And if you continue to go outside them, well, you just have subpar results from what we can do. And then you you end up canceling. I like how you put it there with like the 80% and 20%. Um, I didn't even think about that, but the 80-20 rule, I just picked a number, but that's like, you know, but it, it just goes to show how accurate that that ratio is. <laughs> no, but you know, you know, what's interesting about it is I think what most people would probably do is, okay, we've got a, some segment of, of our clients don't really get it and they need some better training. And so rather than having that, training call with every client going through you're filtering out only the 20 percent who didn't go through the quiz process and kind of spending that extra time on the phone call with just the people who who might become problematic whereas 80 percent of the time roughly you you let those people be great clients because they're they intend to be great clients from the beginning they go through the whole process no problems and yeah we give we give clients credit where credit's due we actually we actually used to gate every client and and required a phone call with them from one of our team members which a year ago was manageable now would require like a lot more bodies and phone time to be able to do but we saw even in that process that a large majority of our clients were just like, yeah, I get it, Russ. Like, we understand design people. Let us get to work. Can we work with our designer now? So it was like unnecessarily causing friction and getting someone going. So we found the balance to be like a self-service onboarding and a bit of a delay. And and like even that delay, even like a day delay filters out people too. Because if you can't wait a day to get started well, you have to wait at least a day to get your designs back. So the guy who's impatient, that impatient before he's even started using the service, we red flag him or her, and we know that they may not even be, they're not going to be a good fit regardless. So all of it's by design. And it's been, you know, I, I think it's been pretty good. Now where I think we can get better is supporting those who don't have a lot of design experience during their first 30 days on how to best use our service. And that's, that's what we're going to be working on. I think the second quarter here is like, okay, you understand how to use the tool, but like, what can you then do with the tool for a new business entrepreneur or owner or whatever? Like that's a big gap. And and we hope to like, like close that, thus making them more sticky with, with us in the long run. Do you run into an issue where, customers sign up they might have one or two jobs and then they kind of run out of ideas to send you like they run out of things that they need there's a whole category of cancellations and churn we call our happy cancellations where whether it's one or two ideas or one or two months they churn out and they're just like i love the service it was great i'm done and that's hard that's a hard pill to swallow because on one hand i'm my like agency background i'm like you're not thinking hard enough like there's a million things that we could be doing but of course i can't like one-on-one consult everybody so it's not worthwhile i can't spend my time doing that so that's where we we were hoping to put some some systems and automation in as is like if we detect you're not using the service or there's been a lull we could kick out some inspiration and ideas or or like hey you want to talk to us and like and actually have that conversation about how you can use our service because those are that's money we're just leaving on the table. I mean, any successful business can afford three seventy a month, even if you're only making a couple thousand dollars a month. Like you could still pay for our service and get a lot of value out of it. So if we're losing happy people because they're not using it, that's on us. Yeah, and it's it's also like a. I've heard someone call this model kind of like insurance, right? Like even if you don't use it for three six months, 
when you do need it, having it there it makes it all worth it. Yes, and we're and I don't think we've branded ourselves or positioned ourselves that well. Um, and, a, and a lot of, and it's it's a challenge because I think a lot of times when people come to Design Pickle, it's because of an, of an acute need or pain, and they're now giving us a shot. They've heard about us, they read about us. Because switching your designers, it is like switching your insurance. You know, you already have a provider. You're already working with somebody. Now you're asked to switch over. So there's usually a reason why that is happening. And when we solve that immediate pain, um, that's where we're not, I think, doing a great job of saying, okay, well, here's what's next. Here's what else you can do. Okay. So like, still like digging into the, this whole operations side of it. As you've grown from a team of zero, just a few people up to 70 designers in the Philippines, like what were the key systems or tools or layers that you had to build into your process to be able to process all these design jobs and work with so many clients at the same time? Like what were the different levels or different milestones that you had to pass to get that system running to a point where it can grow like this. Yeah, well, I think it's a it's a combination of some philosophical fundamentals as well as like the tactical tool fund like things that we had in place. So from a philosophical level, it was it was finding a niche and kind of getting to the point where we had a repeatable deliverable that we could do. Um, we could never have been design pickle had we had done logos or websites or these other like more complex creative projects. We had from day one, we had to focus on something that had a somewhat repeatable process. And so from that fundamental piece, then we were able to say, okay, we know what our widget is that we're selling and repeating. How do we manage it? And it, and for me, the aha moment was using a ticketing system. Um, I had decided on that because of just sort of divine inspiration Little did I know that like there's lots of people out there who've done that and used it. And one of them, which ended up being inspiration for, for Design Pickle was uh, WP Curve and Dan Norris's work. You know, they, they use the ticketing system. And so so that that was the other thing. Did you use like an off-the-shelf software for that or build your own or, or what? We started with Zendesk and that was like just the one that, you know, SEO'd the best when I started searching. But we eventually moved to Freshdesk. And that worked for a while, but but then we started hitting the scalability problems about like our business management. So Freshdesk actually is a tool we still use, and it's a great tool. And I think any ticketing system can be a great tool for managing volume of whatever you're working on, but it wasn't a great tool for managing the business side of it all. So clients and subscriptions and the organization of all of these clients and whether or not they had an account or not, like that, that became very muddled. And, and at one point in the early days of design pickle, if you just knew the email address, you could use design pickle. There was no validation at all of whether or not you had a paid account. So quickly I realized that this was going to be a problem, you know, like one screenshot demo that I didn't blur out the email address and the whole, like the thing could be leaked. So like, Hey, if you just, here's a hack, just email this and, Someone will design something for you for free. Right. So, so that's when we started to look at custom software. That's funny. Like, like technically, we have the same. Like, technically, we have the same issue with audience apps. Like, we use Help Scout to manage all, all our email with clients. But I guess our client list is not so large that we wouldn't recognize or wouldn't recognize like an unrecognizable name. And then we also have the added layer of like we'd have to log into your blog, and if we don't have that, then yeah, like so you have some checks and balances for me. You know, when we're doing, I think like right now we're averaging 500 jobs a day, so like there's a lot of volume going through our system, and like the designers don't know they just get their job and they start rolling. So that kind of spurred our first custom project, uh, custom software project, where we built on top of the API, and that's that's the current experience that clients have where you do sign up for design pickle you're 100% in our custom app but like the the back end delivery implementation is built on a ticketing tool so then the the one more thing I'll add to your question you know how do we how do we manage it is is i think it's like a really fundamental and relentless focus on our culture and our mission vision and values because i can't micromanage all our team i can't expect every request to be handled the exact same way because it's designed like some some things are going to come in you could have two facebook ad jobs one is written one way one is written another way one is written in a nice way one is written in a grumpy way so there's like a lot of variance so we had to systematize our interactions and kind of 
make sure that our interactions are across the board universal no matter who you work with or which designer and we did that through our mission vision values which i used to make fun of and now i like swear by because it actually does work and it does keep the experience of design pickle on track uh, no matter you know who you're working with or what your what your challenge is. So can we go through like what are the different roles or job titles in I guess among your Philippines teams? So like in, in terms of operations and and managing client accounts. So obviously you have designers, but like who who was involved in every step of the process when working with clients? So it's it's not too complicated, but um, I mean we have our design team, which if you're working if you're a design pickle client, you're working directly with your designer that's kind of a nice piece of it. And I think a lot of people get frustrated when they work with traditional agencies because you're usually working with an account executive or a rep and then things go a lot slower when you just need this quick stuff done. So you work with your designer, but then there's a whole management layer on top of them and they, they're kind of behind the scenes. You know, They're only gonna jump in if, if there is a challenge or a problem that can't be resolved by the designer. And, um, and then we also give the liberty of our designers to escalate stuff to their management team because we don't want our designers getting in the weeds of customer success and customer support because that can take a lot of energy and resources. And most of the time in, in creativity, it's subjective. I said this and you did this. Well, sir, you, I read your email this way and not this way. So it's kind of this back and forth that can suck up a lot of energy and we don't want our designers getting in the weeds with that. So that's the structure. And then we have other various support roles around recruitment uh, for new designers. We have HR payroll type people because we, we have to manage all of, you know individual weekly payments for quite a large team. So we, we have that. And then we have supervisor management leadership, which is a team of three that kind of oversees everything and, and making sure the system runs well. Got it. Very cool. So let's talk about the Philippines a little bit. So part of my team is also in the Philippines, not nearly as many as, as you have on, on at Design Pickle. Uh, my wife is actually Filipino as well. And so uh, we've traveled to the Philippines a couple times and I just love the country and I love working with, with folks there as well. So what's been your experience with like, how did you first start out uh, hiring in the Philippines? Like, yeah, when was that? How did, how did you get into it? It was completely by accident, actually. <laughs> so my post-agency drift, I was depressed. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew I didn't want to manage clients. And I knew I didn't really have many other skill sets at that point in time other than doing design and marketing work, because that's what I've done for almost a decade. So I immediately set out to find a project manager first thing when I was doing my consulting. And that was kind of how I was paying my bills. And I posted up on uh, Upwork, I think it was Odesk at the time. And I found three candidates, two were from the United States, one was from Cebu City. And the guy from the Philippines was like heads and shoulders better than the, the U.S. candidates, like by a mile and a fraction of the price. So we we're talking, you know, I think seven or eight dollars an hour versus twenty five to thirty five dollars an hour. So I was like, wow, this is amazing. And so we just started working together. And like even the communication and everything, everything like English communication, professionalism, even the thank you after the interview. Like, I mean, it was like. Literally in my decade of business, it was one of the most professionally, like Carlo, who runs our, our stuff, is, is who I interviewed. And like, it was the most professional interview still I've ever had. Like, it was amazing. <laughs> so Carlo was definitely a gent that I found. Um, and he's been instrumental to, you know, helping us grow out there. But at that point, it was kind of by like convenience, we started building our team out there because because I was ready to hire designers here. And Carla was like, hey, I'm in the BPO industry, like the outsource industry. I know some designers. Should we just hire someone here to do it? And I was like, all right, cool. I've never worked with a Filipino designer, but let's do it. And it worked out great. And like, I'm not surprised. There's great designers anywhere in the world. So we started working there. And then there was the turning point, which, you know, we, we've covered in other podcasts of the aha moment of Design Pickle. And at that point, you know, it was kind of never looking back in terms of our staffing strategy being headquartered in, in the Philippines to build this team for you know, many reasons, from, from the business standpoint to the productivity standpoint to the, the management ease for Carlo. Yeah. And are they all in one location in the Philippines, in Cebu, or are they remote there as well? Everyone's worked from home. And that's kind of the one of the 
huge realizations that we've had is, you know, you're, you're kind of in two classes as an employee in, in the Philippines. You're either going to the, an office and working or you're trying to, to work from home and they both have advantages and disadvantages. And so we, we found that we give the advantage both ways. You know, we offer effectively a salary. It's based on how many hours you work, but it's guaranteed hours and you can still work from home, which is like what the designers really love. And um, not to mention we pay a lot more than you would normally get working in a, in a commercial setting in an office. And when I went out to the Philippines, I realized, experienced the advantage of not having to go to work when I was in traffic for like two or three hours a day. <laughs> this is a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's, and it's been getting worse and worse too. Like we went, I went with my wife back in 2010 and then we just recently went over the holidays, 2016, 2017, and in Cebu, night and day, just from five years ago to now, it's just bumper to bumper. But yeah, I mean, that's really interesting. And you know, I, I was talking to my wife about it a couple of years ago when I started hiring a few VAs in the Philippines and you know, talking to her about how much I'm paying them. And I'm just asking, like, what kind of salary is this? And she's just confirming, like, that is a really well-paid salary, especially for like a young professional in their 20s, early 30s maybe you no know, stay at home mom or something. It's a really good situation. Obviously there are remote jobs here in the U S and our U S team likes those benefits as well, working remotely, working from home. But, but yeah, I mean, we see the same thing in, in the Philippines. And so does your team work like the night shift to be on U S daytime hours or do you cover 24 hours or how does that work? No, everyone works their local daytime. That's then also the, like how design pickles always been modeled. So that's another benefit is, our design team comes online around three or four in the afternoon, Arizona time, um, maybe a little bit later. Some of the team comes on earlier to get ready for the day, but then everyone's working their, their regular time, their daytime there locally. So it's like the lifestyle is great. And this is always like the, the part that irks me about all the online haters because we're, we're not shy about it. I mean, you can go to our website and see, go to meet the team and see like there's like four very Caucasian people and like a ton of Filipinos <laughs> and you could guess who, who works where. <laughs> so that's true. You know, that's, that's really interesting. You say that because that that's something that that's kind of stuck out to me about you and design pickle from the very beginning, because there are so many companies that use outsourced labor, whether it's in the Philippines or other parts of Asia or, or anywhere, and just not talking about it for certain reasons or, just not totally upfront about it. And and yeah, you've been just right up, up front. And I think these days, especially when you're selling to online business owners, like like you seem to be, I think clients and customers are more, they kind of assume that, that that's part of the, the deal these days. Well, and, and it's, and it's a, it's a philosophical thing from like, where am I going to draw the line? And, and initially I was a little nervous about it because of kind of the anti opinion of jobs abroad but at the same time, like I finally stopped caring what other people thought and really felt that, look, the more we humanize our team and make sure that people know that these are like real people with real families and they're professional designers, they just live in a part of the world that there isn't the level of cost of expenses that we have here in the United States. So, you know, I could pay three times the local rate, which is still half of what an entry-level design job would be here in the United States. And like I got over all of that and I found what it did is it just attracted more worldly and nicer clients in general <laughs> for us that like kind of were more understanding and more open to just it was easier to work with them in general. And the people who are probably just pain in the asses never end up signing up in the first place because they're probably closed-minded to the idea that, oh my gosh, I could possibly work with someone that doesn't actually live in the United States. And so when I like see hater comments online or in their ads, like you're, you're outsourcing design or you're doing this, you're taking jobs away. Well, it's kind of like the total opposite. It's like I'm actually like making more jobs for design, even here in the United States because of this. And frankly, no designer in the United States would want to do the work. And that's kind of why we exist is because there was like this huge gap in the marketplace for production design. So it's, it's, it's something that we've now embraced and it's made our lives a lot easier, you know, and anytime someone says, well, I, I don't know, like 
I don't know if I can work with someone abroad. I was like, okay, well, don't sign up for Design Pickle because we got 90% of our company is located in the Philippines. <laughs> Love it. What does your hiring criteria look like? And I've done, you know, um, quite a bit of hiring everywhere in the world, but also in the Philippines for various roles, mostly VA roles, but there have been some designers, some front end developers and whatnot. So like, what does your hiring process look like? And what does the criteria look like? Like, how do you know off the bat that applications are worth saving or worth throwing out? And how do you kind of filter through them? It has nothing to do with their design portfolio. I mean, we have a clear eye for what we're looking for, but we just have a, a pretty detailed process we want them to go through. And if they can make it through that process, it's like, do this, do this, click here, watch this video, send this email. So what we're doing is we're just testing, like, can you follow directions? Because we know that if they're going to be hired, they're going to have to read a lot and follow a lot of directions. So at that point, if they make it through, so there's the design review, making sure they have the skills that we need, which is like a portfolio review. Then there's the, the skill, like the follow directions process. And then there's a one-on-one -on -one review or interview, two one-on-one -on -one interviews with my production team. And what they're looking for is like, how friendly are they? Like, could they fit within our culture? And we turn away a tremendous amount of candidates because we just don't think they're going to vibe well with who we are as a company. Because each person gets put with a manager and other designers. And, and, and so like, even though we're remote, it is very much of a team atmosphere. We work together in Slack. We have we use Workplace too, the private Facebook platform that they launched to have kind of your own private Facebook. So there's a ton of community, there's a ton of connection. And if you're just kind of a weirdo or you feel like you're a weirdo or you can't they connect, then it doesn't matter how good your design skills are, we're not going to hire you. Interesting. All right, so let's just kind of shift over to uh, marketing real quick, and then we'll get into your other products. As we talked about earlier, you guys are just growing like crazy. You continue to grow at, at a pretty fast clip. How are you getting most of your clients today? I mean, I'd say 80% of our clients are coming from our, our offline efforts and referrals and guest blogs and things like that. Uh, we have about 25, 20 to 25% of our, of our sales are directly related to our online advertising, which majority of what we're doing via Facebook. So it's still pretty heavy. I mean, like we're, we're definitely been relying on the events this first quarter for that scale. And we're trying, that's why we're hiring full-time content producers because we want to start doing like real, a lot more just like creative content in general, web series, video series, skits, funny stuff, you know, things that people can engage with. Because at the end of the day, we don't, we're not trying to teach you how to be a better designer, which is kind of what like a lot of SaaS B2B platforms try to do with their content marketing. It's like, I'm going to teach you how to be a better entrepreneur. I'm going to teach you how to be a better marketer. I'm going to teach you how we did this. We're just trying to get on your radar and just be in your short list of considerations when you need design help. So however we can do that, that's our strategy. Um, have you seen the pickles versus guns video? Have you checked that out? Um, I haven't seen that, but I, I, I see your, your, your Facebook ads and your videos and they're, they are like the most entertaining Facebook ads that I, I like, I probably account for most of your like wasted cost per click, just like watching them, you know? <laughs> Well, basically, we did a whole ad um, where it's we rented like a 3000 frame per second slow motion camera and went out into the desert and like with a ton of <laughs> firearms and like basically shot pickles and bullets of, and like barrels of pickles and had explosives and stuff. Uh, and like it ended up being this like we made a documentary about it. <laughs> um, so. Actually, I got the landing page here. If you go to if you go to designpickle.com, pickles, it's a terrible landing page, but pickles hyphen vs hyphen guns, pickles versus guns with hyphens between pickles versus and guns. You'll see it. And like it's that's the kind of stuff we want to do more of because and it's it's provides proving to be an incredibly low cost of acquisition by just showing this like random content. Uh, so anyway, so that's where we're kind of headed with marketing and trying to get that digital acquisition number up from 20% to, you know, like at least half. That's awesome. Uh, we'll definitely link that up in the show notes. All right. So these other products, I mean, I, I heard recently that you bought Yes Insights and that one kind of came out of left field when I heard that story. So you know, you've been growing Design Pickle. It's, again, it's growing like crazy. I mean, it's not a brand new startup, but you've been pretty 
deep into it for a couple of years now. So why get into buying other SaaS products and doing other things? So what, what's going on there? So that was definitely a an unexpected turn this year. And we were a client of Yes Insights and I was friends with with a couple of the founders. There was three founders. And as it happens with business, one of the founders decided that that they were going to uh, go their separate ways and did so rather abruptly to the other two founders. And so they weren't sure what they were going to do with the tool and ended up, I just was like, hey, I kind of was in conversation. I actually got like super pissed at them because all of a sudden they went dark on their customer support. And I was just like, what's going on? You guys were super awesome because it was still pretty it was still pretty beta. But there was a lot of like quirks about the, the software. Um, but I love Yes Insights because you you basically could generate a survey but embed it into your own email service. So we we used Trip actually because of you guys with audience ops, but we didn't want like customer feedback surveys and MPS surveys being sent by some other tool I had to sync up to my CRM. And, and so I found Yes Insights because you just copy and paste the code into whatever you're currently using. So I could just copy and paste this code into Drip. And then when people reply... Um, I have the emails go out via drip based off of certain sequences and and triggers that clients have in that system. So anyway, long story short, they go dark on their customer support. I get pissed. I start to research, is there another tool that kind of works the same way? I don't really find anything. I kind of find one tool, but it's this like weird, uh, complicated European tool. Nothing against European tools, but it's just like total Euro design and just <laughs> convoluted and, and eventually I, I discovered that, look, they're, they're not sure. They're, this one partner has gone its own way and they're kind of closing the business. So I just went like, whoa, can I buy this? Can I just buy this tool, guys? So we ended up getting an offer. My lawyer, like it was the easiest transaction ever. Um, they got something out of it, which I think they were planning on just closing the tool or letting it just degrade to the point where everyone cancels. We got a handful of clients and, you know, so our mission and our vision were a company kind of expanded at that point. And our vision was always to be the most um, our mission was to be the most helpful graphic design company in the world. And we shifted that at that point to be the most helpful creative company in the world. And and buying this tool really folded into that mission where, look, we could have other products and services under our umbrella, not just graphic design services that still fulfill on this mission to be the most helpful, gra- the most helpful creative company in the world. And, and as we expand that definition of creativity, it could be that we are a creative and that we design stuff for people, but also that we are just creative company in general, making videos like pickles versus guns and doing this other stuff. And so that was one you know moment around this expansion of our mission. And then the other one was one that I feel like you were on a similar path with audience ops and the tool that you built. Uh, it was realizing the systems and the processes that we were using within Design Pickle were pretty cool, and we could actually create a standalone software for other teams that are creating stuff for clients in a production type role, whether that's copy or designs or whatever, and create a standalone software that they could use in their own ecosystems of of that client designer relationship, whether that was like an agency or just like a large team that has an in-house design team that's servicing, you know, the whole, a whole company with the stuff that they need. And so that's the other product we've been working on jar. Um, but you know, within my team thought I was nuts because like within 90 days we went from just like, Hey, we just do graphic design to, Oh, by the way, but we bought this product and I've like really committed a lot of money to this building this other project. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's interesting because I, I think, you know, a lot of people hear about, about a founder getting like shiny object syndrome, right? Like, you know, going out and getting into all these other products. And, and I'm certainly, I think guilty is the wrong word for it because my, my point that I'm making here is once you've built the business to a certain point with systems and people and process in place, I think it actually does become your job as the founder to start building in other areas, whether it's building out the product line and exploring those other opportunities, right? I mean, I think that's where you as a founder kind of add the most value right now is is exploring those opportunities. I completely agree. And I confidently made these decisions because I had such a clear vision and mission that I was operating under. And just prior to our call, I turned down the opportunity to buy another SaaS product from a friend of mine simply because I felt that it, it was more of a shiny object 
kind of opportunity than something that I could truly sink my teeth into. So I don't think I never feel it's maybe I'm just selling myself that the fact that I don't have shiny object syndrome, but I, I did. And the math, the math panned out too. Like I've almost recouped all my costs of buying this project within like the first three months of it. So that's been awesome. And so from like a financial standpoint, there's been almost zero cost, but from a time standpoint, there's been some, but just recently I've realized how this tool could be more of like a lead optimization generation tool. And that's been a huge window of opportunity. But as I mature, I think, okay, well, who am I today? Who am I tomorrow? Who am I a year from now? And I think all the successful people that I really admire are able to build and create teams to run multiple projects and products and businesses. And so that to me is a personal development challenge more so than it is uh, like a time management challenge. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And so, um, you know, just before we kind of wrap up here, we talked a bit about Yes Insights. That's over at yesinsights.com. You know, your recent acquisition and how you've kind of integrated that in with, with what you've been doing. Tell me a bit more about JAR. Like, where is that in the development? Like, who is it for? What purpose does it serve and all that? Yeah, so I've actually never talked about it. So this will be the first time I actually talk about it publicly. So what we have done really well at Design Pickle is creating a system to manage production volume. And um, we focus on design. But it's a tight system. You know, I couldn't even, we would have to talk for four or five hours to really dive into all the details of all the moving pieces, but it's a system that works. And we've seen a lot of creative companies use design pickle for some time when they're in a pinch, but they eventually go their separate ways because they hire a designer or whatever. As someone who's worked in an agency, small design or small design requests from your clients or coworkers are a pain in the ass. They're a pain in the ass to track. They're pain, they don't really move the needle. They're not fun. And if I'm managing a team of designers and I'm expecting for them to support our clients or constituents on these things, there's really not a lot that I can do to manage them well. And all these tools that exist out there for project management, like an Asana, Basecamp, a Trello, they are these super vanilla containers of project management that you try to mold and modify for your own use cases. And ultimately, a lot of organizations try and fail, and where do they end up? It's in the inbox. Everyone's just emailing anyway. So what we've done at Design Pickle is we have a solution. Design Pickle, you don't have to use our app. You could literally live in your inbox and use Design Pickle and never log into the app. We manage everything from the back end with an app. And so what we're doing is we're creating that same experience and allowing other organizations to have that within their organization. So you could roll out a jar and go to your clients, go to your teams and say, hey, whenever you need something, just email me. And me, me meeting this generic email address. That goes into our system and everything's managed much like a ticketing system, but we have um, native file integration. So we're building on top of the box.com platform. So you, all of the links, everything's encapsulated in there, public viewing and browser, all this kind of stuff. So for a company that has high demands of production, this is going to be the killer tool for them so that they can manage it. But for the people that need it, they're not, I'm not expecting the 60 year old sales guy to figure out Trello when he needs a flyer made. He can just email us and use jar and we use jar to manage all of that. The way that I think about this, like the missing piece that that covers is the concept of jobs, right? It's, it's a help desk, but with a queue of, of jobs and being able to manage a high volume of incoming job requests that need to then go into a production line and, and produced. And I love this idea that I've seen a few times now going from a productized service with a well-defined system and process and evolving into a software tool. And obviously I've been doing that with audience ops and kind of taking that traditional project management tool or a help desk tool, but filling in that missing piece that, that all the other tools don't have because you're focused on a very specific use case. Like in our case, I'm finding that all the project management tools lack the concept of a calendar. And in our case, we're very much built around the calendar. In your case, you're very much built around this, like a queue of jobs and files. And files too, because every project management tool is like, 
click here to sync your Dropbox account, and then you do, and guess what? Everyone's Dropbox account's a cluster. Like, no one organizes it. Everything's a disaster. So we actually, like, part of the feature of Jarv is it auto-propagates folder hierarchies and naming and nomenclature and all this kind of stuff. So your file archive is clean. You can find versions, everything you know where it's at. And that's going to be, I think, a huge advantage to creative teams when they're looking at how do we manage a lot of stuff in a lightweight process that doesn't bog us down. Like I can focus most of my time on designing and not a lot of time on keeping it all organized. And this is why I think you see full time teams dedicated to project and traffic management within large organizations because there hasn't been a good solution for it. And I got to tell you a funny story, actually, really quick about the name jar. So when we were out, we got accepted to a box incubator program, which is basically just us. You know, there was no money. It was just like hey, you want to use our service? And since we already used Box for Design Pickle, we applied and got in. But we went out there earlier this year and um, and I was at like a mixer and one of the, the chief strategy officer for Box, I think it's G2 Patel, he was at this event and he's like the number four guy at Box.com, right? Works with Aaron Levy. And he's like, well, what does JAR mean? And like on the fly, I was like, um, just a request. Like it's an acronym. And so, but it stuck with me because I think that's the pain point we're trying to solve is like when you just have a request and you need to get it done, you don't want to submit an Asana job. Like you just need this thing designed, please. I thought it was like pickle jar. That's the connection that I made to. Well, so that's, I mean, if you, if you know of design pickle, that's the way you're going to associated but you know i'm open to branch out a little bit and reach some new people so we'll see <laughs> awesome well yeah russ we i think we covered a lot of ground here great conversation as always so where can folks uh, obviously designpickle.com yesinsights.com does jar have a domain yet or where are you at on that uh it will but i don't want to say it because it's like super crappy right now so we'll get that up but probably the best way I'm trying to promote, if you go to blog.russperry.co, that's my Medium page. And I'm going to be actually working on a lot more content later this year. The story of what's going on, different products, what we're working on, life on the road, stuff like that. So um, I'd request just people go to blog.russperry.co and follow me, like me on Medium, and, and that'll be the easiest. Awesome. Well, uh, yeah, Russ, thanks for taking the time. Thanks a lot, Brian. Appreciate it. All right. Okay, that wraps it up. Did you enjoy this one? I mean, it couldn't have been that bad. You made it this far into the episode, right? So head over to iTunes, leave a five-star review. I'd really appreciate it. And if you're not on my newsletter yet, there's a lot more happening over there. And so you'll definitely want to get up to speed. You can join over on my site, castjam.com. Have a great week. Have a great week.